Happy New Year, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. Thanks for joining us for our first show of the year. I'm Faith Mapadon. Thanks for tuning in. Boston residents and visitors revealed what their hopes are for 2024 at the newly revealed ice sculptures at City Hall Plaza. After a year which saw war, divisiveness, and looming threats of climate change abroad and at home, Boston residents are ready to leave 2023 behind and jump into the new year. And in downtown City Hall Plaza, amidst beautiful ice sculptures, residents leaned into their hopes for joy, peace, and prosperity. I think a lot more happiness. Uh, there's a lot of sad things going on in the world, so I would say that uh, for what we need for 2024 is just to be more happy and hopefully spread some kindness around to each other. Health and love and like to stop pollution and to just like care for the earth more. I wish for the new year that we have some prosperity, joy, happiness to everybody because we all miss this. We need some joy for the people and everybody. I'm hoping for 2024 that we all get along, life's short, and uh, we shall all enjoy each other's company and uh, make some new friends this year. Many hoped for a new year without war or division. For the war, yes, I would like to see more peace uh, all around the world, in particular Ukraine and Gaza right now. It would be nice to come to an end on those two fronts and see a more unified war. I'm hoping that people will be more welcoming. We, we are a very diverse country. It's changing all the time. We all come from ancestors from somewhere. So why not? Everybody should just get along. I, I think that we just need, we need to all get along. And I don't care what party you represent, but we need to get along as a country, um, as a nation, actually. So I'm just looking for people to get along. Not so much violence. There's too much violence in the world now. Well, I'd hope for the sake of kids and for everyone that uh, we have a little bit more peace, uh, an end to some of these uh, horrible uh, conflicts that we have around the world. And um, while we're here, I guess, in the United States, I'd say uh, universal health care would be great as well. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, uh, to echo what Micah said, I'd like to see a lot more unity, particularly in our country. Uh, I think, you know, this is the greatest country on earth, despite the challenges that we've had. Uh, through our couple of centuries, but, and I hope we can continue that. So I'd like to see a little bit more unity, um, fidelity to our Constitution, and, and hope that we can all just, uh, in the words of Robert King, get along. And it's not lost on our youth like Jack that the world cannot continue on its current path. I don't really think it's a good world right now, so I, I think we need a better one um, tomorrow. So in 2024, May positivity and good energy lead the way from the mouths and feet of Boston babes. On Tuesday, Mayor Michelle Wu gave the State of the City address to conclude her second year serving the city of Boston. Mayor Michelle Wu delivered the State of the City address at the MGM Music Hall in Fenway, where she highlighted all that Boston has accomplished in 2023. The world needs the proof that Boston provides, that we can create a community where every family finds joy and belonging, that we can kindle a brighter future if we refuse to give up. So every day in Boston, we go to work, chipping away at the challenges that stand in our way. And every day, our progress invites the world to join us in breaking new ground. 
The Boston City Mayor touched on the many achievements made in the past year, from improvements in the opioid and homeless crises to the increase of green energy efficiency and new buildings, as well as more affordable housing and protection for families from rent increases. As cities everywhere grapple with the opioid crisis and homelessness, Boston has refused to give up on health and stability, person by person. Our teams built relationships at Mass and Cass and added more beds and services citywide. With unprecedented coordination, we delivered unprecedented results. Today, the encampments are gone and hundreds of people are housed and on the path to recovery. Time and again, we have proven the future is ours to shape. And day by day, we're following through on Boston's promise to be a green and growing city for everyone. Last year, I promised to ban fossil fuels in new city buildings, and we did. Already, two new community centers and two libraries in progress will be fossil fuel free. And this year, we will introduce zero net carbon zoning to make Boston the greenest city in the country. I'm excited to announce that this year, we will identify locations for nearly 3,000 new public housing units to build over the next decade, and the federal government will provide more than $100 million a year to maintain them. Across our city, too many families are getting displaced when their apartment buildings are scooped up by private investors. So we're launching a fund to make these buildings permanently affordable, doubling down on our success last year, keeping 114 families in their homes in East Boston. This year, we'll deploy that fund to protect 400 more families citywide. Home is all the little points of light that give tomorrow its glow. It's the place and the people you refuse to give up on. Thank you to all of you for making Boston our home. God bless the city and people of Boston. The thought of being evicted from your home of 50 years during the cold winter months seems unimaginable. But it's a harsh reality for 72-year-old Annie Gordon. And City Life Vita Urbana was there to back her up at her eviction hearing. Having to file into courthouses like this one for eviction hearings is an all-too-common occurrence these days for renters and homeowners all across the country. Annie Gordon, a 72-year-old Mattapan resident and leader of the Fair Lawn Tenant Association of Mattapan, is one such resident who's fighting to keep her home. Well, it's wrong because it's been my home for 50 years. Oh, uh, 50 years. I raised my son there. I lived there. I've made friends there. I've worked to help the community be better. And um, it's just wrong to have somebody come in and force us out, price us out, 
when we've worked to make the community better and they have just come in to take and not to um, uh, even contribute or even meet with us, and that's wrong. And on Tuesday, outside Edward W. Brooke Courthouse, tenants and housing advocates from City Life Vida Urbana rallied in support of Gordon, who was fighting an eviction from corporate investor DSF Group for unwarranted conduct, which advocates believe is retaliation for Gordon's refusal to leave. Annie Gordon is a long, long-time tenant leader at Fairlawn uh, Apartments in Mattapan. And right now they're trying to evict her. This is almost ludicrous. They're trying to evict her for being a troublemaker and, a, and for being rude, you might say. And uh, all, all that Annie has done, Annie, 72, has lived in her apartment for 50 years, pays her rent every month, but didn't pay the increase. And basically in retaliation against that, they've been seeking this eviction for the last several years. There's no words uh, for how outrageous it is that we have to defend someone against homelessness in the dead of winter in Boston because a corporate landlord is trying to evict them. That should never, ever happen. And it speaks volumes to, you know, um, the problem of leaving housing up to the whims of the market. Uh, really, she should have rent, a rent-controlled uh, home. She should have a stable home where she can live out the rest of her life. In 2018, DSF Group purchased the Fairlawn Apartments in Mattapan and quickly increased rents in an attempt to push tenants out. Many renters left, but a few like Gordon have stayed and resisted the landlord's attempts to rebrand the building to Soma at the T. Tenants asked for a 2.5% cap on rent increases, the end of no-fault evictions, and repair of bad conditions within the building, which the association says DSF Group has ignored. It's inhumane to come into a neighborhood, to come into a home of an elder in our community um, who's been there for half a century, um, to displace them and ask them for an insane, absurd rent increase that they knowingly can't afford. Um, and it's, it, 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 it's a way of um, disrupting the community. It's honestly a violent form of displacement to come in and ask for such a rent increase that can knowingly put someone, an elder, a vital community member on the street. Um, I don't know where she's going to be going because uh, rent is outrage. It's, it, it's out of control right now. We don't have rent control. Rent is out of control and people like her, community members like her cannot afford the high rent. Fairlawn Apartments, home to many black seniors like Gordon, is now up for sale again. As housing advocates continue raising their voices for rent control in Boston, tenants fight for the dignity of home. Community members, and we are telling you that goodbye. For our first interview of the new year, we're honored to have had the chance to talk with CEO and President Josiah Spaulding Jr. and Corey Evans, a Vice President and Senior Director of Education at the Box Center Wang Theater. In the 1980s, Joe took over the once-failing theater in downtown Boston's combat zone and was able to bring new life and vision. The Box Center Wang Theater flourished under his helm, becoming one of the most successful nonprofit performing arts centers in the country. Over his nearly four decades, Joe has overseen the restoration of the beloved Wang and Schubert theaters, brought Broadway shows to Boston residents, and has instilled a love of the arts and the city's youth through engaging arts education and training programs all while raising millions of dollars for the arts. After 38 years of leadership, Joe will be stepping down from his role at the end of May.
BNN talked with Joe and Corey about legacy, memories, and the importance of the arts in this special on-site interview. Enjoy the conversation. I'm so thrilled to be able to bring you today's interview from the Box Center Wang Theater. And I'm joined here by Vice President and Senior Director of Education, Corey Evans. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having me. So I'd love to start off with your time here at the Box Center and how it's been like to be working here all these years. How did you find your way over here? So I've been here going on 12 years now. Um, and I originally was at the Boston Arts Academy running the Center for Arts and Education and Joe Spalding hired me away um, and I've been here ever since. Wonderful and um, Box Center um, it's been providing educational programming for quite some time mm -hmm. since 1988. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the robust programming that you offer? Sure. We have sort of three main program areas, community, school, and um, teen programs. Our young people being able to go back into their neighborhoods, into mm. the same community centers that helped raise them, um, and giving these workshops for kids in their own neighborhoods, kids who look like them, the messages um, are much more well received when it's coming from a, a cool teenager who lives down the street than it is from me, for example. That's incredible. You made me just want to go back in time and be a student and do all of those <laughs> programs just now. Uh, and over the years, how many students have been served by the education programs? Since its inception, um, which is 1988, um, it's been over 400,000 um, children and families served. And for a lot of young people, walking into a theater like this might might feel a little intimidating. Can you talk about the ways that you've been able to uh, promote the arts and uh, bring about diversity in uh, the people who walk through the doors here? Absolutely. So we are happy that we are able to give out tickets um, to families and, um, and community groups um, in need. So that's one way. Um, we have um, our school-based program comes here for a tour. Every residency gets to come um, and have a private tour of the space. Um, they often have a pizza party afterwards down in the lower lobby. Um, and then each residency gets tickets to come see a production and we usually do um, a pre-show reception prior to that. Um, and they get the box seats so we roll out the red carpet. Um, for many of the kids, it's the first time they've ever been to a live production of any kind, let alone a professional theater like this. Um, and to see the look in their eyes when they walk in, and especially around the holidays when it's decorated, um, their eyes just light up. And we've had a small child say, oh, is this God's house? <laughs> uh, we had a second grader last week ask us if the president lived here, if this was the president's house. Um, so I think it's, um, it's, um, it's a pretty incredible experience for kids to be able to have that kind of opportunity to, to come in here. Um, but I would say most empowering is our teens. Um, in, you know, they work here in the summer um, and during the school year and um, they become very comfortable with this space and they know Joe Spalding, they know staff, they know security. Um, they're able to um, look at this place as their sort of home away from home. Um, it's a safe haven, both 
physically and emotionally for most of our teens. Um, we have, we get feedback every year that teens are able to be themselves here in this space um, where they're not able to be themselves in their communities and their schools um, for whatever reason. Um, there's something about the arts being that unifying connector um, and, and giving young people the opportunity to express themselves through the arts, to find their voice, um, to be really good at something that they didn't know they could they could be good at. Um, they can stand on a stage in front of hundreds of people and perform um, for the first time and that's a very empowering experience and they're doing it on a professional stage um, and that's pretty incredible. So um, they, they really look at these spaces as their home, um, as something that's for them um, when, when they might not have before they started one of our programs. Thank you so much, Corey, for your time. Yeah, thank you. And when we come back, we'll be talking with CEO and President Joe Spaulding next. And welcome back. I am honored to be able to sit here with Josiah Spaulding, CEO and President of Box Center Wang Theater. And Joe, how does it feel to be able to like be in this space every day? Uh, that's a terrific question and now I've been doing it for 38 years it's really become home right and, and you would know this uh, what I do for a living is 365 24 7 I just don't sleep here but I'm here all the time and how could you not think this, this is a wonderful place to uh, to work and to be involved you look at this theater it's rated in, in the top 10 theaters in the world uh, and uh, I've had the great pleasure of being the CEO for all that, oh, my 38 years. Yes, and I know that the staff, the community of Boston, uh, definitely appreciates all of the work that you've done. And it's it's crazy to me that you will say goodbye uh, in at the end of May of 2024. But but I'm stepping down. You're all right? stepping down. I'm not stepping away. Yes. I'm stepping down. Mm -hmm. What was it like? What was this area like? What was this theater like when you first started here in 1986? How have you seen it come to fruition? Your well, vision? I, I uh, right before I uh, came here, I had the incredible pleasure of working with Don Law and a few others in the building of Great Woods. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, it was a, that was an incredible experience. And I'll never forget it when the headhunter came to see me on the lawn at Great Woods. In those days, we had a lawn. Now it's seats and up on the outdoors. And he said, so we've decided that you would be a terrific candidate to come and run the Wang Center. Mm. And I said, absolutely no. Okay. And truth of the matter was, they were worried that it was going to get torn down. Mm. And so they said, well, would you come and uh, come for a week and look through all the contracts, look through everything that we're doing, meet some of the staff, and uh, tell us what we should do. Should we just go home, or should we try to save this place? Mm. That was a great ploy. And I came in, I spent my week, and I said, how do I sign on the dotted line? And I've been here ever since. Can you talk about how your experience in the arts and how that work has impacted your work here? Great question. Uh, uh, I 
uh, I went to a small prep school in New Hampshire. And in 1968, I went to my first concert. Otherwise, I played football, hockey, and lacrosse. That was what I did, all right? And I went to my first concert, and it was Sly and the Family Stone, who you probably don't even remember. I know that. Okay, so Sly and the Family Stone. And then I went to see a guy by the name of Tom Rush. And um, I saw him performing at Plymouth State College, and here was this guy on a guitar, and he was singing Circle Game and you know all these great songs written by Joni Mitchell. And it was right then and there that I decided I would be a singer-songwriter and I would be in the entertainment business. So for the rest of my high school time, I taught myself piano and guitar, and then through college, I had bands, and then I got signed to my first record deal after I graduated from college. Yeah. I made my album, I toured the world as an artist. So I had an opportunity to come from that side to understand what it was like to be an artist. Then I decided I was not really going to be a superstar. Uh, and many of them aren't and understood how hard this business really was. So I decided that I really loved the entertainment business. So I formed my own record company, publishing company, management company, and booking company. And we became very successful. And then I sold that to RCA, which a lot of the young folks won't remember what RCA was. It was a little dog with the megaphone. Uh, and I ran a division of RCA Records in charge of... Uh, popular music in the United States and Canada, and then from there to Great Woods, and from there to here. So I've been in all aspects of the business. Okay, so you are an extremely well-rounded is what you're, you're well, telling. Well, the number one takeaway is I really felt all this time that I was making a difference. When you watch a show on this stage, you know, you're, you're, there's a relationship between the artist and the audience, and the audience back to the artist that rarely exists in other theaters. That experience, everybody has got a smile on their face. And I want to use every ounce of my left of my career, including no longer running this place, but it's a part of the Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame, to, 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 to be able to say, Please pay attention to this, right? Because history would tell you that the music and arts keeps us a civilized society. For sure. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. The Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame it was created in 2019. It was. Can you talk about um, what you feel its greatest success has been and uh, why it's important to have it? Well, it's, uh, well one, uh, I was a history major at Bowdoin College. So um, history is very important. So, uh, and you need to celebrate the cultural heroes that took us through those times back, way back. And so from Lead Belly to Billie Holiday to Bessie Smith to Woody Guthrie to Paul Reardon to Josh White to all these people uh, led the way in terms of being able to talk about diversity and equity and inclusion. And they were all uh, trying to change the world on being a better place, mm. right? And so I felt that uh, Farhoff, as we affectionately refer to it around here, it's an easier thing than Folk Americana Roots Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's a good time. A Boston Living um, Music Museum. Yeah. But Farhoff uh, was about making sure that everybody knew that there were artists that came before, there are artists today, and there will be new artists tomorrow. And we should celebrate music in this fashion. 
So I said, okay, well, let's make ourselves a little different. We can tie it to education, to Corey's programs, and everything that we do here. And let's be the world's only Hall of Fame that exists anywhere in the world in a living, breathing, performing arts center. And everybody said, now that's a great idea. I love that. And, you know, I was looking up earlier, uh, looking at all of these beautiful paintings, and you, you know, you will be remembered for many things, but you physically are a part of this theater. Um, there's an incredible yes. uh, painting up there, yes. restored with your face yes. on it. Uh, can you talk a little bit about yes. that? Yes, that was one of the most embarrassing days of my life. And um, we had hired a firm uh, called Conrad Smith Studios out of Wisconsin, and they they've done the Vatican, they've done the White House, they've done they've just been all, they're one of the best. And all the murals that are currently in the wing, several of them were damaged beyond repair. And several of them were okay. And so we needed to historically find out who the artist was. And we found out it was this guy named Kellogg. And we found out that it was Zeus and the Seven Myths. And many of them had to be redone. So we we had a we took all the remnants and we went to a big warehouse in Wisconsin and uh, this 85-year-old man started repainting in exactly the way that Kellogg painted to put those murals back up on the ceiling. But when he got all the way to the last one, it was Zeus. And Zeus has got a big lightning bolt in his hand. And I'm showing press around up on the on scaffolding. <laughs> and he says, Joe, come over here. And he wipes on to the, uh, that final piece and he put my head on it. And the reason, he said, was that you're passionately so in love with this theater that it seemed to me to be appropriate that you would be Zeus. And so for, until the next person comes along and restores uh, from this, and as you can see, it looks pretty good, uh, that'll be there for a while. Hmm. Well, father of the gods, father of this theater. Thank so you. I think it might be appropriate. Uh, Joe Spaulding, president, CEO of the Box Center Wang Theater. Thank you. Even though you're stepping down, you're not stepping away. That's not, said. not stepping away. Right. I hope to be uh, continuing to run the Hall of Fame for a few years. Wonderful. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for your wonderful service to the city of Boston. Well, thank you very much and my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in, Boston. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, Astound Channel 15, and Files Channel 2161. And make sure to check out our BNN HD Xfinity Channel 1072. You can also hear us on the radio Fridays at 7.30 and 9 p.m. and Monday through Thursday at 9 p.m. And now, you can watch BNN News on the go with the Cablecast app. For BNN News, I'm Faith Mathodon. I'll see you next Friday.